It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hey, everybody. I'm the one, or this is the one, and I'm Greg Gutfeld. Doesn't matter, really. I'm really excited about today's guest. Michael Schellenberger was once Time Magazine's Hero of the Environment. He was a Green Book Award winner and founder and president of Environmental Progress. But he's got a new best-selling book called Apocalypse Never, which I'm guessing has probably ruined a lot of his friendships. Uh, But I'm going to ask him about that. Michael, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Greg. My pleasure. You know, you were... uh, you're the scariest kind of skeptic because you were you come from the other side. It was like when I was young, I was the leftist, and that made me a better, I guess, non-leftist. But you were a climate activist for decades. Uh, but now your findings don't seem to align with the typical talking points that we hear over and over and again in the media. So what changed you? Well, I was, uh, you know, I still consider myself an environmental activist. Yeah. I've been an environmental activist for 33 years. Um you know, I think climate change is real. I don't think it's the end of the world. Mm-hmm. I don't even think it's our most important environmental problem. And I had been working on a book about nuclear power, which is a technology I think is very, very important, including for protecting the environment, but also for other reasons, including national security reasons. And then last year, things just got crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, Greta Thunberg started saying billions of, you know, and, and Extinction Rebellion started saying that billions of people are going to die from climate change. My daughter's 14, so she's fine, but her friends Mm. genuinely aren't sure they're going to live long enough to have kids. And that's just wrong to be, it's just not, there's no, it's wrong kind of scientifically, factually, but it's also immoral in the sense that we should not be contributing to anxiety and depression among adolescents. And so I felt the need to just kind of go through all the different big environmental concerns, plastic waste, uh, meat and vegetarianism. Uh, the Amazon deforestation, fires, climate change, and just try to separate out the science from the science fiction. Which you do a great job of. I want to get to the plastic part, but first, you, the interesting thing when you, you you brought up Greta, I think there are two there are two elements going on that are affecting children in a in a in different ways. Number one, to your point. The hysteria uh, that we are is un- completely unhealthy. Uh, it, you're creating a generation of uh, morose and kind of a panicked neurotics, uh, and I would know because I'm one of them. But that's one side of it. But the other side is by kind of uh, turning her into some majestic hero inspires people to chase this kind of hysteria. So it's not just that we're all going to die, but we're all going to die. And look at the attention I'm receiving by saying this. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question of how much of the we're all going to die stuff anybody really believes. Mm-hmm. I, obviously, I, one of the things I point out in the book is that, you know, the people that are out there moralizing about how we can't burn any more fossil fuels, can't have any more emissions at all. We have to stop right now. They say that right after they fly to Sicily to stay at a five-star resort yeah. and driven around in Lamborghinis, you know. Um, and so what's really going on? I mean, obviously, some of it is the stuff that we talk about. It's virtue signaling, mm-hmm. conspicuous compassion. It's not just that I'm rich. I want you to give me attention for being more moral, too. I mean, right. isn't that what a Tesla driver is saying? No mm-hmm. disrespect to Teslas, but that's, you know, not, why do I need to give you credit for being environmentally sound exactly? Mm-hmm. 
So there's a bunch of that. Um, you know, I think there's also, this is a global elite that are really, that have been behind both the climate apocalypse that are behind sort of one of the United Nations to take control of our food and energy policies and restrict food and energy supplies around the world. And so I think they've seen with Brexit, the election of Trump, the reversion towards nationalism, they feel threatened and they've been seeking to sort of impose a kind of new morality, a new global order, a new, a con- you know, sense of control of, of, of really by, of the economy by a group of activist scientists in particular. And it's unethical because it, uh, it is really at heart going after something that is really quite wrong, which is it's trying to reduce economic growth, not just in the rich countries, but also I document how, They've been really trying to deny poor countries cheap food and energy, which is the basis for for our prosperity. That, I think, is probably one of the most powerful arguments that you make is that what these environmentalists are doing is like they – it's almost the equivalent of they're on the life raft. They're on the life raft, and now they decide that life rafts are unsafe for other people. <laughs> so they're like – they've got now, – now that we've got the coal and we were able to create our societies and – uh, and increase our lifespans and and lead pleasurable lives with big you know with healthy families. We are denying that opportunity by saying you can't have coal, you can't have this kind of energy. And so what you end up having is you have these incredibly poor countries remaining poor, or worse, remaining poor and burning impure f- uh, fuels that end up you know killing millions of people a year. That's right. It's it's totally unethical. Mm-hmm. It's. You know, it's this comes from this British economist, the 18, the 17, uh, late 1700s, who said there's too many people and Mm -hmm. we're all going to have famines. It's always been used to justify reducing food and energy supplies to people. It's always been used to hurt people. It's never been used to help people. Obviously, we help each other by having abundant food and energy, and we've been very successful at that. So there's something quite mean about it. I think there's something unethical about it. I, I think there's something quite imperialistic about it. I think that, um, you know, for most people, it's just kind of dumb, you know, like I buy the product labeled natural because that must be better for me. I don't think most people think about it. Yeah. You know, but there's a lot of the other things. I mean, you know, the I point out that, you know, rich people don't want big wind turbines spinning mm-hmm. near Cape Cod or Martha's Vineyard or or all the really, you know, or the northern coast of the north coast of California. We don't want big wind turbines in our in our beautiful uh, country. So we want to put them in Iowa and Wisconsin and yeah. Michigan and and dump them there. We don't want them for ourselves. And then we accuse the people who are defending their communities and wildlife, including whooping cranes and bald eagles, in these so-called flyover states that the global elite look down upon. We condemn them as somehow part of like some conspiracy to destroy the planet. It's just a, it's it's offensive. I, I you know, I, I wanted to expose the class elements to it, the global elements to it, which I think are very insidious. I mean, you know, there's big money to be made here. I, I testified now twice in front of the Congress over the last month. And each time the I had Democrats say, well, you know, solar and wind, solar and batteries are so cheap now. We they're cheaper than the electricity on the grid. And mm-hmm. I was like, great. So then, why do you need two trillion dollars of taxpayer money, which is what the Biden plan calls for? Oh, God. <laughs> Amazing. So there's money behind it. There's power. There's, um, you know, basically it's 
the motivations are bad and the <laughs> the mechanisms are bad. And so hopefully we can we can surface some of them and talk about them and try to blunt their power in the culture. I hope so. I, you, I I'm trying to remember if I heard this with an interview that you did with Scott Adams and I can't I, I, so forgive me if I get this wrong because um, I tend to get confused at times talking about there was a period of time where we kept hearing about plastic straws and turtles was that you talking about that it, it was the plastic straws and turtles that the like the plastic straws were hurting turtles but it turns out plastic probably helps more turtles than harms turtles Does that make sense yeah well, yeah. I mean, I, I opened the chapter on yeah. plastic with this famous viral video of uh, a marine biologist named Christine Figener mm-hmm. pulling a plastic straw out of the nose of a sea turtle. Right. Yes. And yes. then that led to these bans on straws. And and I point out that straw, you know, plastic straws are, you know, 0.01% of our of, of all plastic waste um, and that it's a trivial issue. And then I point out, I mean, it's such a fun chapter to write, by the way, because I've worked on a lot of these issues over the years, but I never worked on plastic waste. So I got to discover these things for the first time in, in researching Apocalypse Never. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I was spending a lot of time in the newspaper archives, and I discovered uh, just by accident that plastic was, of course, and what we call plastic today is made from petrochemicals, it's made from fossil fuels, it used to plastic used to come from whales and sea turtles, mm. and we hunted the same species of sea turtle that the marine biologist was working with when she pulled the straw out of the street. Mm-hmm. Sea turtles and the same species of sea turtle. We used its shells to make eyeglasses. Right. In fact, what we call tortoise shell glasses. Exactly. Which is modeled. It's actually not tortoise shell. They misnamed it. It was turtle shell. So plastics have been a substitute for ivory and elephants, for the the shells of sea turtles, and for many other things. So plastics are truly a blessing. There's still problems that we would all agree, which is that poor countries that don't have waste management systems, the plastic waste ends up getting going into the ocean. In fact, sometimes people don't know this. The dirty little secret is that we really don't recycle most of the plastic that we think we recycle. It usually is shipped to Asia and then often ends up in the ocean. Mm-hmm. You're better off just putting it in the landfill or incinerating it, which is what they do in Europe and Japan. But the point is, and this is the underlying argument of Apocalypse Never, which is that we need economic development to protect the natural environment. If you mm-hmm. want to prevent plastic waste from going into the oceans, then poor countries like Thailand and Vietnam and and other poor countries in around the world, Africa, they need growth. They need economic development. And that's how they can afford first, by the way, to take care of human waste, which is actually deadly if you don't right. take care of it. And then the second is to take care of plastic waste. And so we shouldn't be trying to keep countries poor. <laughs> anybody that wants to, anybody that's concerned about too much plastic waste in the ocean, and indeed, in some cases, it is a problem. Um, I don't think it's the biggest problem, but it is a problem. Then you should want to have economic development. Yeah, you know, it's uh, was such an interesting turnabout in the uh, in the COVID. Uh, climate when I'd, I'd written something in a book about six or seven years ago about the studies on plastic versus um, cloth bags and how there was a higher rate right. of food poisoning in the Bay Area. There was a study in like, you know, Marin County, San Francisco, Oakland or something. And they found that 
the more, you know, it, it, people that shifted from what they, they I guess they looked at the post plastic bag ban and they saw a rise in ER visits and they could even calculate the number of deaths due to food poisoning based on on this switch. So but then the covid pandemic starts and now everybody kind of has to admit that plastic is preferable to uh, these bags because these bags tr- transmit uh, bacteria and, and, and viruses, uh, maybe not to the extent that people thought it was for COVID, but it kind of like it brought us back to reality that, uh, that the plastic bag is actually not a luxury. It actually works because it's clean. It's, a, it's one use, even if it's literal. Well, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I was just, I mean, I'm in Berkeley, which is the most neurotic city yes. in the world. My, and literally, I, I live I, there. <laughs> I went, you to do. School, I went to school there. You did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe we talked about this last time. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I get out of the, I walk my dogs this morning. I go to this, I go to this nature area. Mm-hmm. That's why we love it here. Mm-hmm. Um, I get my dogs out. And, you know, it's like you're mostly six feet apart from everybody and you're outside for Pete's sake. Yeah. But if you don't wear a mask, you know, you get these dirty looks. Well, I got out of my car today and this woman had a full on plastic <laughs> like hospital visor on right. and i just go i was like oh my god i was like oh gosh now we got visors you know i was yes. like oh god you know and and she's not worried about the plastic no. waste i mean she's 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 wants that yes you know. exactly um, how hilarious is that i mean it's like they went from demonizing plastic to covering their entire bodies with it <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I think coronavirus, I do think I've, I've been working on something. It's not it's not ready yet. And it's probably too early to publish it. But I was going to write something which was like how coronavirus should make us better. Right. You know, which is sort of, you know, yeah, calm down about. Yes. The, stop terrifying children. I mean, children, it's like if you want to like and even if you're skeptical of the locked, if you think that we've over responded, if you're which is I know a lot of my conservative friends do, mm-hmm. even if you think that. Clearly, the thing that disrupted society is a disease, not yeah. not some, you know, and there's no scenario under any IPCC, which is the big scientific body or any other scientific body, which predicts more deaths in the future or more deaths from disasters or disease in the future because economic development continues to outweigh mm-hmm. the the effects. So, so it's not to say that climate change isn't having any effects, but it's to say we keep getting better thanks to economic development at taking care of our loved ones and preventing them from dying in disasters or getting infectious diseases. And, and this coronavirus pandemic will pass. And, and we should just pause for a moment and appreciate this beautiful civilization we've created before trying to just tear down every single institution in it from the universities to the police departments to the, um, yeah, it's, you know, so and have nothing the to kind of gets to, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, it has and nothing to replace it. And by I just want to yeah. you mentioned economic development and it's kind of interesting that like every it drives me crazy uh to hear people saying that climate change is making natural disasters worse. And then you look it up and it's okay, I'm going to go in three different directions here. And you look it up and it's not true. It's it, it's often real estate development that makes it appear that natural disasters are worse because people have moved, um, have have built out uh, further and further on the coast. That's part of the my my point. The other point of it is, if you adopt the climate change kind of uh, scold mentality, you actually don't have to do the research because you're on the side of the angels. Whereas somebody like you, ha- you really have to do the research because 
you have to prove them wrong. They don't have they don't you don't have the luxury they have. They can just say the we're in crisis and I don't even have to show you the statistics, <laughs> you know? That's right. I mean, I on Saturday, I I kind of replied, I don't know what that's called where you sort of reply to a tweet but you embed the tweet that you're responding to in yours. Yeah. Um I you know Greta Thunberg had tweeted a video of a flood in Niger, which is a country in Africa, mm-hmm. and 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 she attributed it to climate change. And I just wrote, you know, Greta, um, that's completely misleading and irresponsible. The mm-hmm. flood in Niger is because they don't have a flood management system, a modern flood management system, not because of a couple more inches of rainfall from climate change. Mm-hmm. And I remember I've had a lot of people kind of go ask me, you know, do, do they know, does she know she's being, you know, being manipulative? Does she know that she's being misleading? I saw today she retweeted a, a, basically a levee or a dike collapse mm-hmm. in Spain. And I'm like, do you really like, yeah. are you really suggesting that a couple more inches of rain destroyed the dike? If it did, then the dike was bad right. to begin with. Exactly. And so this idea, there's a kind of, I can't help but sort of, because I pay attention to these other, obviously these other things, the view that they sort of paint of humans is that we're these helpless victims of nature, which is bizarre because, of course, the big environmental problems that we as conservationists and environmentalists should care about are because humans are not helpless victims. We're incredibly powerful. We change landscapes. We transform the environment. In fact, that's what we worry about um, when we worry about our impact on the environment. It's not that we're somehow going to all just be swept away. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think she doesn't. I think the other thing is that I point out that environmentalists are are more alienated from both the natural environment Mm -hmm. and the means of production than say say people who work in factories or work on farms and who deliver the groceries and deliver the food. So I don't does Greta Thunberg know that that she that her home does not get flooded every year because Sweden because her Swedish great grandparents built a flood control system? She may not know that. No. She may not even see it. So in some senses it's just I mean this is where at the end of the book, you know, the last chapter I say, I kind of go what's going on here and it's hard to be too I say the chapter's called lost you know it's called false gods for lost souls. Greta Thunberg, she's a lost soul. She has no idea right. you know, what she's talking about, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's in the grip of a kind of a lousy religion. Yep. You know, and she thinks she's sort of talking about stuff that's scientific, but she's just on a kind of religious crusade. And and that raises some challenging questions for all of us, but it, it does, I think, put some of the, the hysteria in perspective. All right, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And I know you've said it before. It is a, re- it, it is a religion. It's a cult in the sense that you can rise up the cult uh, based on how um, how uh, pure you are, right? Like the louder and the more, and the, you know, you can, the stronger you are on that side, and and the, and the less forgiving you are to opposing voices, the more you rise up, right? It's it's the, the more ideological, the more unbending, I guess is the word. The more unbending you are on climate change, the more you're rewarded. So if you are actually uh, somebody like you or Bjorn Lumberg. 
uh, who, who could say like, look, we, I believe there's climate change. I believe it's getting warmer. I believe that maybe uh, humans have something to do with this. But I also believe that nuclear power is, is probably the cleanest en- energy. I think innovation is going to help us. So that sense that sensibility in that sense does not put you up into the into the into the front row for the media. Because that doesn't work for the, the media needs. I call it the prison of two ideas. You got to be evil, or you got to be on their side. And in this case, on their side, it's Greta, and on evil is you. But if you are like actually, if they actually wanted to solve something, it would be way into the middle, where there's a little bit of conflict, a little bit of disagreement. But at the at the end of this conversation, there's actually progress. They don't want progress; they just want discontent. Which leads me to my last question. I was thinking of a great experiment. What if you published two books at the same time as the same person, maybe change some spelling in your last name? One is Apocalypse Never and the other one, The Coming Apocalypse. And just see if the people that read The Coming Apocalypse know that you wrote the other book or uh, – and just and just compare which one we get from most media play. I'm just – because the thing is I do think that your – Obviously, your book is a daring book. It shouldn't be a daring book, but it is. But it's probably getting punished for the very thing that you're saying, if that makes sense. Right? Well, the great the great thing about when your opponents are religious zealots is mm-hmm. that they always go too far. And so when they censored me, yeah, which they basically did. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, ba- I first had my, I had my Forbes column censored. Right. Um, ostensibly for non-substantive reasons, though. Um, I don't agree. And what happened to Forbes? Was do you remember how good Forbes I, was? I mean, do, I mean, I, well, I can't. I don't. <laughs> you can't say anything. But but I can't. Well, Forbes was like a like Forbes dot com is strange. Anyway, that's just my opinion. Go on. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, it's fine. And then and then they've come after me in other ways. And then the worst was when I testified in front of Congress. Mm-hmm. Two of the Democrats on the hearing attacked me for like ten minutes, using their entire period of time right? just to attack me personally. And then they. And then I asked for a chance to respond. Another con- congressman on the hearing said, Michael should have a chance to respond to these slanderous attacks. They gaveled the meeting to a, the hearing to a close. And, you know, I wrote about it because and I think that, you know, when they have to censor you, I think people know yeah. that there must be something really important going on. And I think that's been what's helped to make the book a bestseller. I think it's what's helped to, to, to I think, to get people to kind of go, maybe there's something else going on here. I do think the big event, though, is just that coronavirus and the pandemic is going to make us all aware that, you know, and we're headed for some hard, some dark times, I think. Mm. I think it's going to make us all aware that we should be grateful for our prosperity and civilization and not view it as something that has to radically change to deal with climate change. All right. Well, then I can't end this here. I just need one more question. You said dark times. What is your definition of dark times? What is what do you well, it just seems it just seems like I mean, the bigger the biggest problem, as you know, and I think you talk about a lot is just that it doesn't matter who I talk to Democrats or Republicans. I kind of go, why should the United States of America exist? And I can't get people to give me a very good answer to that question. Mm -hmm. And until we can have a great answer to that question and until the answer to that question is broadly shared by left and right, by people in the blue states and the red states, we don't know what we owe each other. And we saw mm-hmm. this with the pandemic. We don't know what we owe our fellow citizens. And right. we, the divide is so, I will say, I think that we're going to go through a bunch of dark, some dark times, but I think it's going to mean change too. And I mm-hmm. think that whatever happens in the fall with the elections, 
there's going to have to be change because the global order is completely changing. And I think Americans, to some extent, I think the spoken or unspoken view from a lot of Americans is that we really do need to put the United States of America first. Mm-hmm. And, and, and anybody that wants to try to do something different is just not going to have the power that they've had over the last 30 years. Yeah, I think that we, you put it uh, succinctly. I mean, when and and we don't know what we owe each other. It's such a it's such an interesting way to look at it. And and uh, God. I, you know, my wife. I got my wife on Twitter. Oh, one last story. I know yeah. you have to go, but one. You know, I got my my wife was like, "Get me on Twitter," because she, you know, because we're both basically Berkeley liberals, you know. And so we read the New York Times, and we were like, in the middle of the pandemic, we're like, the New York Times is not providing a diversity of viewpoints. So finally she was like, help me get on Twitter. I got her on Twitter and she was reading some back and forth on my Twitter thread. And, and a woman said, well, I hope people will stay at home because my sister is immune, has immune, is immune compromised. And then somebody responded, oh, so we all have to stay at home because of your sister, hmm. you know, and both Helen and I were like, well, that, that's not very nice, <laughs> nice. you know, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not the nicest way to put it. But as I thought about it more, I was like, you know, he's not, I think if you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt, he's not asking an unreasonable question, which right. is the question that we're all asking ourselves, which is what do we owe each other in a pandemic? But I think that just is the, I mean, we don't know what we owe each other when we weren't in the pandemic. Exactly. It's like we need to, we need to have something that reasonable Republicans and Democrats can agree on or our country is lost. Yeah. You're, you know, you know, in a weird way, you're talking about uh, what we used to, what we used to see as war like what's, what the war answered the question, what do we owe each other? Do we like I'm going to war to defend to protect your family? You're you're going to war to protect my family. What what and 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 what is sacrifice? Uh, what is expected of us? And I think the pandemic like, you know, we were in we're in a world where the idea of world war just seems so far removed. And and the pandemic in a way is kind of a new reworking a reboot of war for us the enemy is as the the enemy is tiny microscopic invisible but it's still kind of there and maybe it's it's the same it may be the same kind of thing in a way i don't know well don't we all agree that the enemy is china i mean yeah they're committing they're accelerating it appears as though china has accelerated its genocide of its muslim minority right. during the pandemic and explain to me, I mean, I can't find a Democrat or a Republican who thinks it's a good idea to turn over the mm-hmm. global market for nuclear energy, yeah. um, uh, 90% of our drone market, Ugh. 5G, and 90% of our pharmaceuticals. It's we insane. We need to bring back some of these manufacturers. We need to have an industrial base to be a country. And that means that we have to, something is going to change. It's the subject of my next book. You know, which is yeah. really what is what this question of what do we owe each other? And that means we're going to have to we're going to have to bring back some of our industry. We need more housing in the city. I think there's actually going to be more room for some broader agreement between left and right as we take a hard look at kind of what's a priority given coronavirus and the recession. Yeah. Um, and, and in a world where China is clearly does not respect, it does not respect human rights. It does not respect liberal democracy. And it seems like we really should be united against uh, a China that threatens the world. Yeah. Well, I hope that's I hope that that's true, but I just don't see any unity. Maybe I I'm just too I'm in a cable news bubble, so I think that everybody's at each other's throats. But I hope I'm wrong. Michael, it's a pleasure talking to you. 
Uh, the hero you too, of Greg, always you, great. Yeah, the hero of the environment. You still are the hero of the environment. Uh, the book Apocalypse Never is a massive bestseller. I'm not going to ask you where you can get it because everybody knows that you can go wherever you want to go: Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, any bookstore. Uh, and it was a pleasure talking to you. And I hope to see you soon, sometime, Michael, when you're out in New York. I'd love that. Thanks, Greg. Sure thing. Take care. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.